When Jair Bolsonaro rose to power in 2018, one of his key support bases was made up of evangelical churches, most notably the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God, which owns one of Brazil's largest media empires, including Record, the country's second-largest TV station. Throughout the 2018 campaign, Bolsonaro dodged debates and opted instead to give interviews to friendly record journalists. Feeling nothing but softball questions that allowed him to explain his political platform from a place of comfort. Interestingly enough, Bolsonaro himself identifies as Catholic. As such, his links to Brazilian evangelicals appear to be more of a marriage of convenience as opposed to one of faith. Fast forward three years and the relationship between Bolsonaro and the church appears to be fractured. Not because of his government's coronavirus pandemic response or its laissez-faire attitude toward the environment, but because of how his administration failed to react to a crisis involving the Universal Church in Angola. Now, Bolsonaro could lose this important supporter just as his popularity dips and the 2022 election looms large on the horizon. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Universal Church of the Kingdom of God, or simply the Universal Church as we call it in Brazil, had a few things in mind when he first lent its support to President Jair Bolsonaro. The backbencher turned presidential favorite promised to fight for years-long demands from religious communities in areas such as taxes on places of worship. Another key policy area was very high on the church's list of priorities, but largely lay under the radar for the general public. The Universal Church sought support from Brazil's diplomatic services to help expand its brand worldwide. True to its name, the Universal Church is present in roughly 130 countries, including Argentina, Portugal, Japan, and several Portuguese-speaking African nations. The sun appears never to set on the church's domain. That is, except in Angola. The church is facing a crisis on the other side of the South Atlantic, and it's creating a gulf between its leaders and the Bolsonaro administration. Matias Alencastro holds a PhD from the University of Oxford and is a researcher of the Brazilian Center for Analysis and Planning, the Sebrap. Matias, thanks for joining us. Tell me, what's going on in Angola and why is it important for Brazilian politics? The church, and as we call it, the universal, uh, has been foundational to the reconstruction of Angola after the civil war that devastated the country uh, and lasted between, uh, started immediately after independence and ended in 2002 with the defeat of uh, Jonas Sabindi, the rebel leader from UNITA. Um, the church arrived very early in the 80s and um, 
was a part of a broader attempt from the mother house of the church in Brazil to expand to Africa its, its as we say, uh, market or its base of loyals of the church. Angola for the universal, for, for the church has always been foundational, strategically speaking. Uh, for example, the former mayor of Rio, Marcelo Trivella, writes in his memoir that his first years at the, at the church were spent in Angola. Angola was also, was famously a training ground for many of the leaders of the church in Brazil. In the early 80s in Angola, uh, Rui Duarte de Carvalho, a very famous Angolan writer, called, uh, said that it was an archipelago of cities. The cities were completely isolated from each other because of the civil conflict, and there was absolutely no sense of nation for a country that had just emerged from colonialism and uh, wasn't even able to dialogue between each other. So for the MPLA, the regime in power in Luanda, that had uh, very little legitimacy and capacity to protect its authority beyond the capital, which is in the Atlantic coast, having the support of the church was instrumental. The church played a role in unifying the country, in creating a common narrative, just as other churches in the colonial period were also important uh, for the state in, uh, to project its authority in the hinterland. Right, and how did the Universal Church become such an important power broker in Angola? In Brazil, many churches gain influence through grassroots work in vulnerable areas. They help communities with donations, emotional and spiritual support. Does it have the same approach in Angola? That's, that's a really good question. I think they, they uh, as you say, they have this below-the-radar approach. Uh, that is not about big religion and big conventions, as we see now in Brazil, but much more towards assisting displaced communities, approaching the most devastated areas of the war, connecting with the bases and with the people that have indeed suffering, that had been suffering the most of the displacement. And, um, and these were the people that the church would approach and mobilize and organize themselves. And, um, and, and it was through that work on the ground that the, the church proved very useful for the regime, which was uh, having a lot of difficulties in connecting with some parts of the country. Um, getting back to the story. So, uh, as, as the church emerged as a partner of, of, uh, of, of the Angolan state, it also became a part of the broader Brazilian project in the country. So the church arrived in the 80s, but Odebrecht, which is Brazil's most important company in Angola, historically also arrived in the 80s as well. It is, it, 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 it wouldn't be correct to say that there was synergy between the Brazilian diplomacy, the Brazilian state, the, the, the Odebrecht and the church. They were not aligning their strategies, but it's it, it's a matter of agreement that one was complementary to the other, and what, the, it was a mutually reinforcing dynamic. The fact that the church was there facilitated the expansion of Brazil Brazilian business, Brazilian culture, a Brazilian idea uh, in, in Angola, 
uh, as we know, uh, for example, the largest uh, fair in in Rwanda, in the north of Rwanda, where everything was sold from Russian airplanes to uh, foods, uh, was called Rock Santero, which is inspired by the Brazilian telenovela that was also very famous in the 80s. So th this period of rigorous alignment between the Angolan state strategy and the Brazilian foreign policy strategy and the, and the church really benefited the church. And the church really expanded its base in Angola. And over time, Angola became very important for the church in Brazil, both financially and both in terms of having a base, of having a, a sort of monopoly of faith, of evangelical faith in Angola. Now, the universal church is essentially suffering a purge, for the lack of a better term. Many of its pastors are being kicked out of the country. Temples have been broken into by local preachers. Members of the church even call this a sort of pogrom. How did the church's standing deteriorate so much? And what is the power dynamic between Brazilian preachers and their Angolan counterparts? What do we know, or at least what I know, I'm not an expert on the politics of the church. It's that the church is, has a very centralizing approach, and some would say authoritarian approach, uh, in the sense that uh, the Angolan uh, pastores, the Angolan bishops, uh, had very little autonomy. Um, they were always under the complete authority of the Brazilian bishops, who were under the authority of the Brazilian mother uh, headquarters. And that, that lack of autonomy for a very long time proved uh, acceptable or tolerable for the Angolan bishops, so long as the Brazilian evangelical church was providing all the infrastructure and was guaranteeing a minimum support for the Angolan bishops. What it appears is that over time, the Angolan bishops never really expanded their authority, but also the support from the Brazilian headquarters diminished it. And they felt abandoned and subjugated to a leader that had any more, any legitimacy or any way of demonstrating its legitimacy. And what has been the fallout of that clash? It's, it's different dynamics at the same time. The first dynamic is that the Angolan state does not see the church as an ally anymore and is actually sees the church as a potential problem. As, uh, Angola, as any other country, doesn't like the idea that, uh, a, a great share of its population is under the orders of a, of a church that is piloted from abroad, more specifically from Brazil. And while that was tolerable for the Angolan state for a while, because Brazil was an ally in diplomacy, was an investor um, in Angola, and helped actually projecting the power of the state in Angola. As we know, Odebrecht donated for the campaign of the of the party states. Uh, it even helped the Angolan state hiring João Santana, the political marketing. Uh, wizard from the Workers' Party in Brazil. So during that honeymoon of Brazil-Africa-Angola relations, uh, the church uh, was not bothered at all. Uh, things turned sour after 2015 
when there was a change in power in Angola, uh, Dos Santos was replaced by Lorenzo after 37 years in power, and Brazil, Brazil divested from Angola massively. And at that point, the church felt isolated. And for the new government of Angola, it was an opportunity to remove an, uh, an old ally that was becoming a bit too problematic, and especially was not helpful anymore in the Angolan state strategy. The incidents of violence led the Universal Church to plead for action from Brazilian diplomacy. How does this crisis affect Brazil-Angola relations? Well, I can't, I can't really speak for what's going on on the ground because I think the sources uh, are not very reliable. We don't, uh, we, we know the Angolan newspapers are obey, obeying, following one agenda. The Brazilian newspapers that are reporting on it are following another agenda. And very few independent sources have written about it. So I, I will skip an analysis of what's going on on the ground. What is, what is crystal clear is that the church believed that the Bolsonaro government, which was meant to be its closest ally, uh, and the, the promise that the church would be an instrumental in the new Brazilian foreign policy, uh, the, the, the church believed that the state would engage, would go as far as possible in a conflict uh, with the Angolan state to protect the interests of the church. And that proved impossible. It proved impossible because um, there, there is so much a state can do in protecting the interests of a church that is actually a private company that is based in Angola, that has been based for Angola for 30 years and is logically subjected to the Angolan legislation. And, uh, and there was also not only a matter of legality, but also a matter of competency. Uh, we know that the Itamarachi is not guided by the brightest minds, nor the most, uh, experienced minds in international relations. And they are simply unable of doing that very sensitive job of protecting the church in Angola. And furthermore, for the Angolan state, in order to pacify the relations with the church, Brazil would have basically to restore the old model of cooperation, which, which was based on Brazilian investment, Brazilian diplomatic support. And these are things that are red lines for the Bolsonaro government for the simple reason that he believes that uh, cooperation with Angola and Africa is uh, only meant to foster corruption and uh, Marxist alliances in, in his paranoid mind. Right, Matias. So you mentioned Jair Bolsonaro's resistance to increasing relations with Africa. And Brazil-Africa relations is something few people talk about. It was only really a thing in the early 2000s as former President Lula da Silva wanted to establish his South-South diplomacy. How have those relations evolved? I do think that Brazil-Africa relations are still a market in Brazilian international relations, and they are still widely debated, not only because they represented part of the consolidation of the black movements in Brazil, but also because they, they were very present in the imaginary of the far right um, as, a, as a sign that, as I said, Lula was cooperating with left-wing African countries for corrupt purposes. 
which is, of course, a totally wrong image, but it's an image, it's a cliche that is very consolidated in part of the public opinion. That said, um, I, think, I think very briefly uh, what we can say about Brazil-Africa relations is that Lula created a relationship that was um, very much based on the premises of economic diplomacy and uh, a, very, a very engaging approach of the state that was followed by corporations. Specifically in Angola, it was Odebrecht that uh, drove, uh, that took the lead and, and became very important in the country. And then with Lava Jato, uh, the, uh, the, the investigation, investigative operation, as you know, and the change in government, these investments retreated. Uh, what is important, and I think it's key for the debate in the future, is that the alliance between the states and a charismatic president and a private company to expand the international reach of a country is an absolutely banal thing in, in global politics. Uh, there is no, not one country in Africa that invests in Africa that doesn't resort to that formula. Uh, we, we see all the time French presidents traveling with Bolohe, Thales, and any other French company to Africa to sign new deals. So there is nothing exceptional in that. There is nothing exceptional either in corruption scandals. Unfortunately, these are quite common. What's exceptional in Brazil-Africa relations is the fact that because of the political crisis in Brazil in the, in the, in, following the car wash, we sacrificed a dimension of the foreign policy in the name of this Puritan approach uh, to, to politics that was never meant to happen after all. And that brutal retreat is what leads to this current crisis? Brazil is paying a high price for being so much present in Africa in the early 2000s and then retreating so fastly. That comes with a price. The, the African governments, they're paying attention. They see the contradictions in the discourse. They follow Brazilian politics. And so the Angolan government is acting accordingly. He's seeing that the Brazilian foreign policy is in a moment of weakness, and he's taking advantage of that. And it's all to his merit. This is not something that should be criticized. Foreign policy is about taking the opportunities and filling the spaces left by competitors. Um, what I think that must be done is a deep reflection in Brazil of whether the option to abandon Africa is a viable option for Brazilian international relations. I don't think it is. I think, I think if Brazil wants to be relevant in the world, it needs to be relevant in Africa. Africa was not just this side, uh, side thing for, uh, for Lula, this, this, this little thing that he was doing on the side, uh, because of some political belief or whatever. It is a core part of the international relations of Brazil. And I think that needs to be fundamentally discussed within the next year as we try to remove this horrible government from power. Matias, thank you very much. You're much welcome. Matias Alencastro holds a PhD from the University of Oxford and is a researcher of the Brazilian Center for Analysis and Planning, SEBRAP. Before this episode was aired, Record, the TV station owned by the Universal Church, 
ran a 10-minute-long segment on the Angola crisis. Ao todo, já são 17 integrantes da Universal expulsos em ações de perseguição religiosa e política. The piece talked about a, quote, feeling of disappointment with, quote, the government's omission and failures to protect Brazilians suffering religious persecution. O Ministério das Relações Exteriores, que deveria proteger os brasileiros em Angola, falhou na missão. With a re-election campaign scheduled for next year, President Jair Bolsonaro really can't afford to lose the backing of Record and one of the most powerful evangelical churches in Brazil. But with so many domestic crises on his plate, the question is how he would be able to help his pals across the Atlantic with so much on his mind at home. If you like explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars. That will help more people find out about this show. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. See you next week.